Goodbye 2022, and here comes 2023. We'll discuss this and nothing else on this special year-end edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined as always by the right Honorable Charles C.W. Cook and the notorious MBD, Michael Brendan Doherty. You are, of course, listening to a Nashville U podcast. Our final sponsors of this year are the Fire.org, Act and Unwind, and Babble. More about all of them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. If you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear, please forget I said anything. And before I do anything else, let's hear from our first sponsor this episode, thefire.org. Do you know only one in three Americans believe we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org, www dot thefire.org. So as is our custom at the end of the year, we're doing a, a year-end wrap all exit question style. I'm going to go to you first, MBD. I hope you're prepared. I hope you're ready. First question, the biggest winner of the year. Joe Biden is the biggest winner of the year. Ooh. He- he had uh, he he was running <laughs> his party was running in an environment that should have been horrible for them, and somehow he through his I don't know his lack of f- force of personality <laughs> and his, his, his inadequacy his further inadequacies got him over the top. No, I I honestly believe that I honestly believe that his um, some of his uh, senility actually is working for him, and that he is he is not a threat. uh, He's not perceived as a threat by Republicans the way Obama was or Bill Clinton was, right? Uh, And uh, he is somehow through the reputation he's built up over the last 40 centuries of his political life, uh, steered his party to the best showing in midterms that they could have possibly hoped for. Um, so he's the winner. Yeah. Just um, Ch- Charlie Oud, but I, I had Biden down as well. I, I think adding to everything MBD said that the spending, you know, they, they punched above their weight in terms of the, the spending they, they got over the last two years with five vote majority in the house, a tie in the, the Senate. And there, there are a lot of, we've talked about it a lot, a lot of factors playing into the Republican underperformance in the midterms, but that the fact that they actually ended, ended up getting some more stuff done this year really helped uh, their cause as well. So I'm a, I'm a Biden person as, as well, but Charlie uh, sounds like you're someone else's your winner. Uh, I think we're, I think we've overcorrected on Biden. I think that Biden is still in trouble. I think he got no permanent changes to the American order. His Supreme Court pick did not change the court much and, if anything, weakened the non-originalist bloc. He is 
unpopular. People think the country's on the wrong track. We still have inflation. We may enter a recession. I think he did okay. I think he did better than expected. I don't think he was the big winner this year. Yeah, I guess to get cover Biden, we should have had the most adequate uh, person of the year. I think the big winner this year was Samuel Alito. Ooh, Mm -hmm. good choice. Historic opinion? Yeah. Carefully reasoned? It's clear that Alito, and he should have, has been wanting to write that for decades. Mm-hmm. It's clear that when Sam Alito first read Roe, he was appalled. And he wrote the majority opinion that brought an end to it after half a century. And funnily enough, that he did so in the summer of this year is one reason why people are choosing Joe Biden, because I think there was a little, mm-hmm. albeit not a great, effect. But in the long run, the winner of this year was the conservative bloc on the Supreme Court and Samuel Alito in mm-hmm. particular. That's I like that choice. pick. That's a, yeah, it's a good choice. And also, there's just a lot to be said for someone who's spent their professional life you know, d- developing an, an, an expertise and a craft and being able to exercise it in so consequential a way, in a, in a way that, as you as you say, he he's been probably driving towards since since he since he ever read Roe in the first place. So that's a good that's a good choice, Charlie. So Charlie, go, go to you again first on this one. Biggest losers of the year. Give us both a Republican and a Democrat. Biggest loser of the year. I think it's Trump. I know I've been waiting seven years to say that and it'd be true. (laughs) I think this time it might finally be true. He was routed. He was routed. His candidates lost. His behavior was almost invariably self-destructive. And usually that hasn't mattered, but it did this time. And he's had to resort to selling NFT cards of himself to get attention. I think Trump's the biggest Republican loser of this year. And I I don't think that it is unfair to refer the loserdom of others to him, because as he would acknowledge or hope even himself, he has been the big dog in the Republican Party now for the better part of a decade. And you can't have it both ways. If he has the influence, he has the influence. He would not say willingly that the people who lost had nothing to do with him. He was pleased that they made it through the primaries, and he was happy to take credit for that. Well, now he has to take the loss. I think it's Trump. The biggest Democratic loser of the year, it's got to be Stacey Abrams. What a... What a total dud. She was elevated in the press over and over again. And everything that she's tried has failed. She complained about the 2018 Georgia election. She lost. She gets nominated again. The guy who was in charge of that election then beats her by eight points. All of the 
New York Times is plaudits the appearances on Star Trek, the Annie Leibovitz photos where she's made to look like an angel. Just don't matter. People don't care. So I'm doing Stacey Abrams. MBD. Losers. Uh, the Republican, I guess, leaning loser, not an elected Republican, uh, the Trafalgar group polling, uh, I think took a huge beating this year. Um, you know, kind of a, was a rising star in the polling scene ever since 2016 and some, some perspicacious calls on Trump. But I think that stock, uh, I think there are a lot of people waiting for him to, uh, Robert Kahali to fall on his face in one, one cycle because his kind of secret sauce is so secret. Um, and it happened this year. Um, on the democratic side, it's the New York democratic party as a whole. This party um, failed entirely. Kathy Hochul, who replaced um, Cuomo as governor, is a mess. But the party drew a um, redistrict a redistricting map that turned out to be so flagrantly against the state's anti-gerrymandering laws that a special master was appointed to produce a fair map. And that fair map maybe is is the difference between a Republican and a Democratic Congress. Yep. Or maybe so, a one vote, it'd be maybe a one vote Republican majority without it. Maybe. I mean, uh, I I could see it being, I mean, how, how big is the Republican majority now? Five? Six? Five. Yeah. I mean, this is the majority I think it was done by the New York state um, map, which I think did give you f- five wins that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it also pit long time, congressmen against each other. Uh, it destroyed Sean Patrick Maloney's career. Uh, the results in New York state, uh, just an unbelievable face plant by a state party, uh, that was hugely consequential for the nation's politics. I think Charlie makes a good case for Trump. I'm going to go with Carrie Lake though. She, you know, it was not as much of a Republican year as as we thought, and she wasn't running as strong as some of the polls showed, not just Trafalgar, but but others. But it was a real razor-thin loss, and she spent the last week in a general election campaigning with Steve Bannon, which either she's a legitimate crackpot or she just wholly misread, and I, th- I think if anything, she's a shrewd operator, just wholly misread what she needed to do to bring this thing home, which is to, to you already had the base with you, just just seem you know, s- somewhat reasonable and talk, talk about consensus-oriented issues, water and all the rest of it. Instead, she's campaigning with Steve Bannon, who's, who's making, I don't know, I didn't follow these appearances closely, he may have been made, making explicit references, but at least implicit references to, to she, she was, you know, poetic justice uh, on the whole stop the steal cause. Um, so that, that was catastrophic um, political malpractice. And then she followed it up with the, the crappiest uh, kind of graceless be- conspiracy theory oriented behavior. Uh, afterwards, all these other stop the steal candidates around the country, when they lost, they admitted they they uh, lost. They might whine about it, you know, Blake Masters, for example. But she's the only one who um, ha- has been trying to uh, ridiculously challenge it. So I'll, I'll make her my top 
Republican loser of the year and Democratic side. I agree with Charlie, Stacey Abrams, $100 million, all this nonsense about the election in 2018 being the product of voter suppression. And the election denialism had gotten such a bad name um, with with Democrats. She had to try to backpedal on this during the campaign, totally unconvincingly. So she's she's a talented activist and, and a, a talented personality to appeal to a, an element of the, the Democratic Party. But there was never really indica- any indication that she was a, a talented um, politician herself, even though there were massive efforts to puff her up uh, as such. In 2018, if Trump hadn't been president of the United States, she wouldn't have gotten close to Brian Kemp the first time around. So with that, let's pause and hear from our second sponsor of this episode, Act and Unwind. There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Who can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Act and Unwind comes in. Just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Act Institute, there's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Act and Unwind. Every Monday, You'll hear from host Eric Cohn and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as it promotes a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org slash NR, or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash NR to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. MBD, most consequential story of the year. I'm going to zag here. There's There's a very obvious choice, but I'm picking the less obvious one. Uh, the, the most consequential story of the year is Chairman Zeke consolidating full control over the Communist Party and even ruling out uh, a potential success, potential successors and thus setting himself up for another decade of rule unchallenged. Um, I think this is, is massively consequential. I think we are going to see the U.S. and China um, in increasing hostility over the next decade, I think the chip war is as almost as significant as cutting the Japanese off of gas ahead of World War II. Um, this is the story of the year. That's good. Good choice, Charlie. Hmm. Thinking, considering carefully. Don't make a rash judgment here. A lot, a lot, a lot of people are edge of their seats right now. <laughs> Listeners, and I, I guarantee you an answer's coming. Just thinking about it, thinking. <laughs> well, I think the most consequential story of the year was the midterms. That's much more parochial than Michael's. But majorities are built over time. And if you look back at the Trump years and the years that immediately preceded them, you know, what happened in 2017 had its roots in 2014 and so on. You don't get a 
Supreme Court majority that will strike down Dobbs if the Republicans don't pick good candidates in 2014. You don't get the failure of Obamacare repeal if 700 votes go the other way in New Hampshire in 2016. I take Yuval Levin's point that functionally speaking, the Republicans got what they wanted in the midterms because henceforth they will be able to stop Joe Biden's agenda. But the question is not merely what happens for the next two years, but what happens after that? What happens if the Republicans win the White House? What happens if they need 53 votes for something controversial or dramatic and not 51? I think we are going to see these midterm elections shaping our domestic politics and to some extent our international politics for years to come. Those are great choices. I, I'm going to go with, with Dobbs, which I think is right up there uh, as well for reasons I won't elaborate. Charlie, who or what did you admire most over the last year? I don't, don't, say Trev, don't say Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I did consider it for a brief second. That's probably true. That's probably the truthful answer, right? <laughs> Trevor Lawrence has brought me great joy, certainly, in the last few weeks. I politically admire the Georgia Republican Party. Mm -hmm. I think the Georgia Republican Party, in particular Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger, have demonstrated what it is to be a conservative without losing your honor. Brian Kemp's not a squish, nor is Brad Raffensperger. They're also not liars. And if we're to have any future as a movement, we're going to need people who stand up against lies and anti-constitutional behavior without abandoning everything they ever believed in and win. Mm -hmm. And that happened. And it's easy now for me to sit here and say, but it wasn't easy to do. Uh, and they did it. So I, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about people in the international arena, there are obviously hundreds of people who are much more admirable, people who are standing up to dictatorship and tyranny and totalitarianism and religious persecution and so on. But within my more parochial sphere of political interest, I think the Georgia Republican Party did a pretty solid job. MBD? Um... I was tempted to say I have, I have two that I'm torn between. Uh, one is kind of conventional and the other one, a little bit trolling um, conventionally uh, Cardinal Joseph Zen of Hong Kong, who is undergoing trial uh, by the Chinese communist party, who, who I think um, has been totally abandoned by the Vatican shamefully. So uh, even as he's been proven right that the Chinese communist party was not in honest broker in a deal with the Vatican over how bishops would be appointed to the Catholic church in China. Um, but on a, on a kind of more trolling level, but, but quite serious too, the Canadian truckers um, stood up to a government 
that uh thank you mbd i thought you were gonna let us down on this episode i i thought they were just i thought the the canadian government acted so disgustingly they smeared the truckers as white supremacists nazis homophobes everything in the book they went after their bank accounts they went mm-hmm. after every fundraising that was done for them. And the truckers launched a, a peaceful, loud, and obnoxious uh, protest in Ottawa uh, that was well-deserved to end the COVID tyranny. And they made, they made um, Trudeau out to be the absolute slimy, illiberal hypocrite he is. Because by the end of the year, of course... Trudeau was praising the Chinese for standing up in protest against COVID tyranny, uh, even as he had done everything that a Chinese potentate would do to put uh, down protests in his own country. So I'm going to go very conventional. I'm not going to say Zelensky, although it was an enormously admirable choice not to flee when that would have been the, that's a natural human inclination, but to, to stick and fight, I mean, it may have saved his, his country, but I'm not going to say Zelensky because, you know, it, it still, we'll, we'll see. It, he, he could turn to, turn to ash, but I will say the people of Ukraine, I mean, this is just a classic nationalist people struggle for their land, for their sovereignty, for their culture. I counted them out early on. That was a mistake. There are many, many dark days still to come, but it's been an, an, an aspiring um, uh, fight for their nation. MBD, there might be many candidates here for both of you guys. There's going to be, I, I think, trouble narrowing this down. Who, who or what have you had most contempt for over the last year? Huh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> My enemies. <laughs> um. Um, uh, I, I honestly, I've had the most contempt for, and this is, this is starting a fight, I guess. Um, the, the jingos and, and Hawks, uh, who I think have been completely flippant about the war in Ukraine, uh, the consequences of us support and us policy over the last eight years and what it's led us to. And where it's leading us still, um, I, I have I have absolute contempt for these people. I think they are bringing the world to the brink. Um, I think uh, you know they've we've pursued a policy so astoundingly foolish, so far beyond the actual national interest of the United States, uh, and I'm a, I'm terrified we'll re- still reap the whirlwind from it, and. Um, and they've been bottomlessly dishonest ever since. Um, you know, I mean, I hope it was worth it to put a few Aegis missiles in Romania after you uh, after the treaties were abrogated on arms control. Uh, I think this has been totally useless. And um, yeah, you, you have my scorn evermore. <laughs> Charlie Cook. Well, we're both going to be very on brand here because... People I have the most contempt for now as ever are the people who believe that the U.S. Constitution is optional or that its terms are there to be twisted and redefined at will. We saw an outpouring of this nonsense after the Dobbs decision, the pretense being that it was somehow the people who could read 
the plain meaning of the Constitution and not those who 50 years earlier had screwed with it who were at fault. And we saw it throughout the rest of the year as the cases came down and as the new cases came up. And we're going to see it next year as well. I think it has been a monumental victory of good sense and persistence that conservatives have managed to grapple with this tendency and bring us to the point at which we can undo so many of the lies that have been told. But it doesn't lead me to hold those who persist in the behavior uh, with any less contempt. So I think I had the most contempt for cowardly Republicans on abortion or confused Republicans on abortion. They had 50 years to prepare for the overturning of Roe. They had the actual leak of, of the opinion, and they still scattered in fear and confusion in all directions. So with that, let's pause and hear from our final sponsor this year, Babel. One of the most exciting things about a new year is that you have no idea what adventures are in store for you from new travel experiences to new jobs or picking up new skills. There's no better way to prepare for 2023 than learning a new language with Babel. Babel is a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Thanks to Babel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, you can feel confident no matter where the new year takes you. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson so you can start having real-life conversations in a new language in as little as three weeks. Other language learning apps use AI for lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers, not computers. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash editors. That's babbel.com slash editors for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. So, we got to get... Uh, the famous uh, incomparable Sarah Shetty out of here. So we got to go kind of lightning round style here with very a little elaborations. Charlie Cook, best sports moment of 2022. Well, Rich, I was in Nashville watching the Jacksonville yeah, Jaguars I heard, play. I heard about this somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if that was the best sports moment objectively. I don't know if the average person on the street would regard it as such. And we did just watch the most remarkable world cup final. But for me, it was quite honestly the Jaguars Titans game because I do see it as a potential inflection point. The point at which the Jaguars got good or at least got good by AFC South standards and Trevor Lawrence came into his own and the team clicked and moved forward. And I hope that that's what we'll see next year. So for me, it was watching the Jaguars beat the Titans in Nashville and make that leap. MBD? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit of recency bias with the Vikings over the Colts last weekend, down 33 points at halftime. They came back to win 39-36 in overtime. Largest comeback in NFL history. Um, just think that one is going to be remembered for years yeah, like to come. 
pretty epic. I have trouble choosing between the Tennessee-Alabama game. It turns out neither of these teams are quite as good as they seemed at the time, but just classic college football game. Big eps, upset, unlikely plays at the end. Kids are running onto the field, ripping down the goalposts and throwing them in the river. It doesn't get any better than that. And then Alex Ovechkin getting his 800th goal on a, a hat trick against the Blackhawks has Wayne Gretzky in his sights. MBD, best movie or TV show that you watched this year? Um, you know, it wasn't The Banshees of Inishirin, which I just watched this weekend, which was a disappointment. Um, and actually could be read as one of the most anti-Irish productions ever produced. Although the performances are great in it, but it, it's it's a meditation on the Irish Civil War. Uh, and I think it has a jejun point. The best thing I watched was um, the Apple TV Plus series Slow Horses, which is based on the Slough House series of spy novels by McCarran. Uh, it stars Gary Oldman. Um, it's kind of basically about the the cast-offs of MI5 who are basically put into the rubber room, uh, and it's it's quite fun. Joy. Mine is also an Apple TV Plus show that begins with an S, but it, it's not Slow Horses. It's Severance, which I think I mentioned before on this very podcast. Absolutely incredible show. Has the best finale of any show I've seen for a long time, perhaps ever. I'm going to go with Minions. It was uh, Rise of Gru. It was so much fun. <laughs> so entertaining at every single level. So I, I wanted to spend some time on this one, but we've, we've unfortunately, our listeners are going to think this is a conspiracy to cover up our failures. But I was going to ask the, the thing um, you guys got most wrong this, this year and say, please elaborate. We don't have much room for elaboration, unfortunately, much time for elaboration. But uh, let me just add, is it, is it the election with, with all of us? Mine's clearly the, the election. Charlie, MBD? Yeah, it's the election. I got swept up in the group thing towards the end. In the summer, I was aware that the candidates the Republicans had chosen were unusually weak, and I had started thinking about how I was going to write about that when they lost, and I forgot it. I got completely carried away by the historical examples and by the economic and political atmosphere. And by election night, I was convinced that it didn't matter and it was just completely wrong. Um, so I need to learn not to do that. MBD. Um, it, I got the election most wrong, but I'll, I'll do a B mention of in January when I correctly predicted a full invasion of the whole of Ukraine by Russia. I also said that I thought Putin may have a victory parade in an Eastern city by the end of the year, uh, which has turned out not to be true, uh, though I think it could be true next year. Okay, so here's a bonus question just for you, MBD. Charlie is a non-believer, and I go to an Episcopal church. Which of us, me or Charlie, has strayed further from the truth, in your view? <laughs> I mean, athe atheism is respectable. <laughs> I mean, uh, atheism isn't going to be blamed in the history books for uh, the deformation of, of American life the way the Episcopal Church will be. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm giving the points to Charlie there. 
All right. Bonus question for you, Charlie. There has been, God forbid, and we hope this never comes to pass, some sort of apocalyptic event, at least in the Northeast where both um, MBD and I reside. After this event, who will survive longer, me or MBD? MBD. Oh, why? He is already (laughs) far more proficient with firearms than you are. He is a keen gardener and therefore will be able to grow things. And because he's Irish, he's got an advanced knowledge of terrorism. Terrorism and clannish warfare. Absolutely. (laughs) It It comes innate. All right. So bonus question for me, how much do uh, I admire and uh, uh, respect my colleagues? Hugely, hugely uh, appreciate everything Sarah's done to keep this podcast on the rails uh, over the last year. You don't know, dear listeners, what, what she has to put up with on any given episode or try to make go away and uh, appreciate Charlie MBD and every other regular or special guest. I I learned so much from them and they also put up with a lot. You, you, you have no idea how long it takes us to get this, this podcast actually underway and recording once we've connected, but that's some of the, 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 the best, best conversation is the the pre and and post recording uh, discussions. So final exit question of the year. Charlie, final exit question of 2022 to you. What is your New Year's resolution? Hmm. I had not thought about that at all. What is my New Year's resolution? Should we go to MBD first? MBD, do you have a New Year's resolution first? My New Year's resolution is to get reorganized about uh, my reading time. Uh, and and maybe my listening time as well, in order, uh, partly in order to just finish more books every year, but also to revive off the shelf uh, as a regular MBD column at some point in 2023. So Charlie, I'll also go g- give you a little more time if you need it. So I'm not good on New Year's resolutions. I want to learn Old English. <laughs> I've gone through this period of of reading about the the Middle Ages. I think it's a, a fascinating time. It's 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 really interesting seeing how um, modern English words go back to uh, Old English and these these uh, old old practices, you know, from a thousand years ago. But I, I emphasize what I'm not saying I will learn Old English. I'm not saying actually I will do anything to uh, to uh, actually follow up on this desire. But I do have a desire to uh, to learn Old English. Charlie? Well, you know, the honest answer to this is an answer that will sound as as if I'm doing that thing you're not supposed to do in job interviews where they say, what is the, your weakness? And you say, I care too much or something. But I actually need to learn and I hope to do this next year, I actually need to learn to, to calm down and just sit. I, I've developed this guilt complex, I guess, that if I'm not doing something, that I'm wasting time, being unproductive, being slothful. And actually, it's just not true. You, what, you, what you end up doing is wasting time in other ways or, I don't know, make work, and then you you miss out on moments in your life you can't sit still through the movie or just have dinner and uh i've this has become more and more obvious to me as the year has gone on and I, I i need to reverse it so my my new year's resolution is to stop thinking oh i should be working or oh i should go and check this or what if the picture in my office isn't straight or i wonder what's happening on twitter 
um, and just live a bit. <laughs> wow, that's that's, uh, that's that's profound, Charlie. Uh, good luck with that. And that's it for us and all of 2022. You've been listening to a Nashville View podcast all year long, to be honest. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of the game without the express written permission of National Review Magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the aforementioned incomparable Sarah Shuddy. We love you, Sarah, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, MBD. Thanks to the Fire Act and Unwind and Babble. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. Happy New Year, everyone.